This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just days away. Very grateful to be here with you and very grateful for each and every one of you that are tuned in right now live to the program. Our phone number, if you want to join the program, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a few things I want to talk about. And not a lot of time in this first segment, but I want to get a lot in. Um, there's a poll. 40% of Democrats don't want Biden to run. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, we also have the approval of a deal after another hostage was killed. There's finally a deal for 50 hostages and four days ceasefire in Gaza. So the Hamas terrorists are not going to be killed for four days. Let's see how that goes. Uh, over Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving weekend, I guess. I, I don't have the exact dates on it. I, I just saw the headline flash in front of me a little while ago. And I wanted to start off with something that we were talking about a little yesterday because it seems as we're going into Thanksgiving, the media is not really focused on being thankful about anything. Now, listen, my philosophy has always been you fight when you have to fight, but you don't go looking for the fight all the time. That's just how I am. Some people are always looking for a fight, right? The Democrats are horrible. The Republicans are spineless rhinos. I get it. But I like to help. I like to think that we can help people along. I like to think we can nudge people. I like to think that we can have a conversation and reach something. Because at the end of the day, right, every American in this country is our American brother and sister. And whether I agree with them or not, they're still Americans. Now, I know some of you listening, you go, oh, Rich, you're going soft. No, I just think w my neighbor is not my enemy, right? And my faith calls me to, to love my neighbors. I love myself. So I've got to try to find common ground, not create so much of a chasm between us that we can never get anywhere. But that's exactly what the media seems to be doing. And they're doing it again to guess who? El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump. And I find it uh, just the language that they use, right? I say Biden is a bubble, right? Uh, uh, a bumbling, blobbering, slobbering idiot. Okay. And, and I don't think he's an idiot. I think for a guy with uh, two brain aneurysms and two open cranial surgeries, I think the guy is an amazing crook, right? He's, he's an expert at, at just uh, doing what he's got to do. The grift, he is the grift master. But... 
MSNBC, right today, this morning, the morning joke with uh, Joe Scarborough. He says, Trump will imprison and execute you in a second term. Listen to that. Trump will imprison and execute you in a second term. Listen to this. And if he is voted into office, then a lot of these people that are talking about literal or figurative or whatever the hell they're saying, you're going to look like idiots uh, because he will do he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. It's not really hard to read. The only, again, the only thing that stood between him and the destruction of American democracy was the federal judiciary. B.S. Bravo Sierra, that's a a straight out lie. Now, here's just a little tidbit. I'm going to mention it, and if you hate me for it, great, and if you don't, that's cool too. Since 2017, there have been a bunch of people, many conservatives and others, former Democrats, that have been following QAnon, right? And part of the QAnon message or mantra was that Trump is going to imprison all of the deep state and execute them in military tribunals. You never hear me talk about this on the air. And the reason I don't talk about it is because I stick with the Constitution. I'm a constitutionalist. Now, I'm not saying presidents don't have certain powers, but I am saying nobody's voting for Trump to do that. Now, if you are, you should really examine yourself because while many of us would love to see that happen, right? We'd love to see people put in jail and pay the price. Uh, Even those that are guilty of, of something that, that, um, calls for an execution. That's not what's happening here. But the media is going to use all of that against Trump. Now, that may excite a part of the base, but the rest of the country, that big 33% in the middle, they don't want to hear this stuff. This is detrimental. Trump is running to fix America. And the way he's going to fix America, we saw it in the first term. He's going to get the right people in place and Lamentably, he wasn't able to get all the right people in place, like one of his lawyers, Ty Cobb. This guy was terrible. But we can't be fixated on this 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 idea that we're just going to go in and clean house and everybody's going to disappear. It's a utopian fantasy. This is government we're talking about. It's a swamp. Think of it in terms of an actual swamp, like the Florida Keys or the uh, the Everglades. Where are you going to put all this swampy, muddy water? The quicksand, the alligators, they're all going to come out, right? So it's, it's not an easy process. And it's not one he was going to do in, in the first term, and, and he's going to get closer in the second term. But this is a, a legitimate problem that I, I don't believe ends ever. I don't think Trump ends this thing completely in four years. I think he makes a tremendous impact and, and educates and trains more people to be able to do the same thing so that people have an eye for looking out for the swamp. And he's, that's exactly what he's done, which is why he has a rally and there's tens of thousands of people that attend. But my point is the media. The media is trying to hit him every step of the way, trying to make it seem like Trump is somehow uh, Satan incarnate. And if he's elected, it's all over for everybody. And that's just inaccurate. And that's why I talk about this every day, because every day that they come out here and they say this stuff, I, I have no choice but to take umbrage and, and refute this stuff on the air. Now, listen to this other one now. You got Ty Cobb, right? Former uh, White House lawyer. He was also on MSNBC. He was on yesterday. And (laughs) 
the things that these people say. He says Trump ending up in jail. Well, that's because his narcissism will get the best of him. Listen to this. I don't think the, his first or second violation of the gag order uh, will find him sent to jail. But I think ultimately, um, you know, his... Uh, his narcissism will get the best of him and he will uh, violate it until uh, he finds out what the limits of uh, Judge Chutkin's patience are, is. Right, and I guess those limits, those limits, as you're saying, end up with what could possibly be a night or a two or something like that. I mean, it's hard to even imagine it, but actually in jail. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the judges were frustrated with both sides a little bit today because of, uh, you know, the vagaries of, you know, their interpretation of the order and the arguments that they were making. But in the, in the end, I think this task boils down to using that, you know, um, uh, scalpel skillfully uh, to All right, that's enough of this guy. What, this guy's a clown, him and his mustache. It was really the first part I wanted you to hear, uh, and you heard it. And he said, yeah, the gag order will find him sent to his viol- His first or second violation of the gag order will find him sent to jail. But I think ultimately, you know, his narcissism will get the best of him. Now, I got to tell you. Uh, so in the first one, Scarborough says he's going to kill you and put you in jail. In the second one, they're calling him a narcissist. Now, listen, a lot of us know narcissists in our lives, and uh, we might be sitting with them in Thanksgiving dinner. So I want to pivot from this topic to talking about narcissism, because it's a term that's always thrown around. We've talked about uh, this on this program before, but I want to do it in the context of Thanksgiving, because at Thanksgiving, you get lots of personalities, right? You have your OCD aunt. You've got your, um, you know, let's say your uncle is Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, right? You have your sleepy uncle. And, and there's all sorts of people, and obviously somebody somewhere in your wonderful family is a narcissist or is just displaying narcissistic tendencies the way uh, Mr. Cobb here is uh, claiming that Trump is. And I think it's a mistake to do that to people, honestly. But I think it's important for us to know the difference between people that have some narcissistic tendencies and an actual narcissist who destroy people's lives. I haven't seen Trump destroy anybody's life. So we're going to get to the bottom of that with the expert that literally wrote the book on narcissism, Dr. Tracy Campbell. She's joining us next. And uh, we're going to talk about those differences and everything else and in between. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Relax. Kick back your feet. Turn the volume up. Gather the family around the radio. I'm here with you straight till 1 a.m. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Our number is 833-482-5337. If you want to join in, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I don't think his first or second violation of the gag order uh, will find him sent to jail. But I think ultimately, um, you know, his uh, his narcissism will get the best of him. Okay, that's Ty Cobb. He's a former White House lawyer in the Trump White House who's now criticizing President Trump, saying that his narcissism is going to get the best of him. And of course, in politics, uh, it's kind of like all's fair in love and war and politics, parenthetical. And you hear things all the time. People lob all sorts of um, uh, mud around. But ultimately, this guy's a lawyer, right? And by, by some people's opinion, he's a, probably a good lawyer. But 
He's not a shrink. He's not a, a psychiatrist. He's not a therapist. He's not a psychologist. But our next guest is. She's got a PhD in psychology. She's been doing this stuff for 30 years. She's written numerous books. She's always doing workshops. She's really terrific. We've had her on this program before. And uh, she's the author of Narctionary, the, Narcs, the Narcissist Dictionary. And uh, I want to bring in Dr. Tracy Kemble. Doc, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. And happy holidays. Thank you. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. And speaking of Thanksgiving, I wanted to have you on because I know that there are people that whether they have a narcissist in their family or there are people that have narcissistic tendencies and that's totally different. And maybe we'll tackle that uh, as we're um, in the next segment. But uh, there's a, a study that says that you can spot a narcissist by their eating habits. And I found this to be really interesting because it was published in a journal called Psychology and Marketing, and they studied a group of people who exhibit narcissistic tendencies of overconfidence, a need for admiration, et cetera, and they were asked to make food choices after being told about the health benefits and risks of certain ingredients. And uh, they, they've kind of narrowed this down. Now, I don't know how scientific this is, uh, but it, I found it interesting, and I'm thinking, you know, people might be reading stuff like this so that they can start to identify their family members. Because if you go on Instagram or TikTok or anything like that, you've got a million and two videos of people telling you, you know, if somebody um, argues with you or if you say don't do this and they do that, they're a narcissist, right? <laughs> so I think people exactly. are, are, are going to Dr. TikTok to diagnose people. And it's, <laughs> it's probably a bad idea in my opinion. But I wanted to bring in you being the expert to let us know what's going on. The thing is, you know, narcissism is what makes narcissism so confusing. It's not like pregnancy in that you either are or you're not. We're talking about a spectrum disorder, which means that like the rainbow, it goes from one color to a completely different color. There are different levels of or not of narcissism. And on either side of the spectrum, too little of narcissism or too much narcissism, those are the danger areas in life. And, and I, I get a little bit anywhere from ha getting um, a, a kick out of it to exhausted by it that every time we, we log on to social media, it's like, oh, they're a narcissist and they're a narcissist and they're a narcissist. Well, here's a memo from Normaland. We all have bits of narcissism in us. Catch us on our worst day. And <laughs> you could label all of us as some sort of a, a self-serving narcissist. Hmm. And so it's a word that's really being thrown around a lot in our culture right now. Some people are wrongly blamed and some people, the really good narcissists are, are overlooked, which is a very dangerous thing. Um, and some is just being thrown around like the newest ingredient to throw into a, a conversation of, of anger, frustration, blame, whatever you want to say. But that doesn't discount the fact that it is a very, very real condition that when it, the doses of narcissism go up the scale, um, it, it can begin to destroy people's lives. Right. And I think, uh, and again, uh, I, I'm not the um, um, doctoral level psychologist here. You are. But I feel like in what I've read in, in preparing for this program and others, uh, that seems to be the ongoing trait that they they destroy the lives of others and suck the life out of them. And uh, I'm thinking that if, if you're labeling somebody this, um, likely if it was a, a, an argument you had or whatever it is, uh, if your life is still intact, you haven't been destroyed. 
it's probably unfair. Yes, because there are different types of narcissism. You know, there there is the the um, the covert narcissist, uh, where the person you know we know that we think of the classical signs of a narcissist: grandiose, self-serving, uh, et cetera, et cetera, center of attention. Uh, but there's also something called the covert narcissist. And the covert narcissist is the the, sh- the the lamb in wolf's clothing because the covert narcissist is somebody who is the perpetual victim. And and though the, the covert narcissist at the end of the day can become a victim to anything, right? But the co the covert uh, the overt narcissist can become the victim of anything. The covert narcissist is just as destructive because they manipulate and fuel source and control other people's lives through being the professional victim. For, so, and then, then there's, a, there's the altruistic um, narcissist who is the person oh. who stands up and in the name of God, you know, and, and sacrifices their life for community and whatnot. Well, these are the people that become cult leaders. Right. So narcissists come in. There's not just one definition of a narcissist. There are several definitions of, that describe narcissism. And that's why, again, why we have to be careful about who we actually label as a narcissist versus narcissistic tendencies versus somebody just having a bad day. Right. And, and I totally get that. So what's your advice? Um, and, and we if you if you need more time, we'll go into the next segment, because um, I think we got about a minute and a half here. But for people that are at the Thanksgiving table and they're like, oh, here comes so-and-so again to tell us how great he is or how great she is and, and, you know, wants to sit there and hog up all the conversation and, you know, people are saying, oh, here, you know, here, here comes the narcissist again to our Thanksgiving table. Um, How do you recommend um, handling that? Well, I think that if the narcissist had their own Christmas Carol get a uh, Christmas Carol book, it would be like "Tis the season to be awful." <laughs> la 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 la, because inevitably narcissists get very episodic during the holidays because the attention is off of them, and they have to do whatever it takes to get the attention back on them. And so there are many things that, that I can recommend. I don't know if we need to take a commercial break first, but... Yeah, we will. Um, I'm going to plug your website and everything right now. Uh, let everybody know um, how they can, you know, find all of the different resources that you have available and how they could find you online. Great. So my website is drtracy.tv. The book, The Narctionary, which is the Narcissist Abuse Recovery Dictionary, is on Amazon.com. It's like dictionary, only narctionary. And I think that that's enough for now. You got it. Folks, we're on with Dr. Tracy Campbell. She's an expert in narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. And we're talking about, you know, dealing with the so-called narcissist at your Thanksgiving table as we go into the holiday week and weekend. Don't go anywhere again. If you have a question or a comment, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're looking at a study uh, in a journal called the Journal of Psychology and Marketing, and they're looking at whether you can identify someone as a narcissist or at least displaying narcissistic tendencies by the types of uh, food and beverages they consume. And in this study, 644 adults were offered wine and the uh, part of the group, and the other part of the group was offered chocolate. And they were asked some questions uh, before they were asked to consume these, uh, like a checkoff questionnaire saying, like, I tend to want others to admire me, etc. And interestingly enough, the researchers found that people who exhibited narcissism were more likely to consume more wine and chocolate, likely because they overemphasize the uh, positive health benefits. This sounds nuts to me, but uh, it's in the journal. <laughs> and they're saying that this is in line with previous research that found that narcissism correlates positively with something they call optimum bias, meaning that narcissists tend to misjudge and overestimate their own susceptibility to positive and negative events. Um, that's over my head. But for people that read articles like this and are going to Thanksgiving and they see someone uh, that's, you know, putting down the wine and uh, grabbing an extra piece of uh, dessert that uh, has chocolate in it, um, are we to believe that they're narcissists? I don't know. But we're going to get a tip from Dr. Tracy Campbell on how to deal with those that are narcissistic at our Thanksgiving table. Dr. Tracy Campbell, welcome back. <laughs> I'm laughing because you tell any woman uh, that, you know, chocolate is a sign of narcissism and they might rip your head off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. I don't really like chocolate, but I do like wine. <laughs> there I go. Exactly guilty as charged. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if food has anything to do with narcissism. However, I can say that narcissists are, you know, it, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it is a duck. When you're in the world of a, a narcissistic relationship, you feel that you're so alone and you're the only one going through this with this person that's destroying, you're allowing to destroy your life. But really, they're, they're, the, the characteristics of narcissism are, are quite predictable and quite consistent through the condition. And when, when, you, when you have that situation, uh, I mean, obviously, that's, that's a very deep thing where people are going to need to read your book and, and have therapy and things like that. But for those that are at the Thanksgiving table and they've got that, you know, one uh, attention-seeking uncle, aunt, cousin, 
that's at the Thanksgiving table, hogging up the conversation and probably hogging up the wine. Um, what's the recommendation on, on neutralizing that conversation or dealing with them so that you can have a peaceful time? Right. Okay. So let me add one more layer to that. Sure. It is typical and, and it is classic narcissistic behavior that during the holidays, as I mentioned before, the commercial break, that a narcissist cannot, the reason that the, a narcissist will truly blow up the holidays, not just the holidays, anytime that there's a special event for the, the certain people in life, they will do something to destroy that event. The question is why? The answer is because the attention of, of other people are on, are not on the our narcissist. Mm. So the narcissist, Remember that this is a personality that is constantly looking for fuel. And when they are not the center of attention, they begin to feel invisible. So then they have to do something to bring the attention back to them. It's a whole formula, a whole cycle. So inevitably, you can expect that if somebody has narcissism, that during the holidays, they're going to do something to blow things up. Now, it might not only be the person who drinks too much and talks about themselves uh, at, at the, the at the holiday table, it could be somebody who you say, "Hey, listen, you know what? I forgot this really um, important dessert, and it's found at this uh, bakery. And can you please go by and get it for me? Sure, I'll do it." And then they come in with something completely different. Oh, you know, can you please pick up? I I forgot this uh, this uh, ingredient for my recipe. Can you stop by and get it? And they'll show up and they'll either have forgotten it or get you something completely different. So narcissists are class for leaving you high and dry and, and on your knees at the, at the holidays. So one of the things that I recommend to clients that I work with is consider this what's going to happen. And so always have a plan B in place that if they say, no, I'm going to show up sober and they show up drunk, move on with your plan B. If you ask them to do something, assume that they're going to do something to blow it up and have a plan B. If they're sitting at the table and they're talking all about themselves, you can say, oh, that's a really good story. And then you can look to somebody else and say, didn't you have something similar to that happen? Or didn't you have, you know, what's going on in your life? And so what you don't want to do is completely say, you know, shut down the narcissist because you might cause a big, bigger episode. So you can say, oh, thanks for sharing that, and you divert the the subject over to other people so there is some inclusion um, as much as the narcissist can handle that. But don't be surprised if after you put up that boundary, because narcissists don't like boundaries, that you don't get uh, a fit of rage or anger or pouting or something of that nature. But again, have your plan be in place so that your holiday doesn't get ruined. We can't allow the narcissist, we can't allow the, the tail to wag the dog. And the narcissist will always try to control the holiday environment so that the attention gets back onto them. So it seems that if you have a, a narcissist at your Thanksgiving dinner or at even your, your Christmas celebration, that it's likely that they're going to do something to bring all the attention on themselves. They're not going to blend into the background. They're not going to be like everybody else is just enjoying themselves. They're going to try and sabotage the event if they don't have the spotlight. The fuel. They need the fuel. And, and yes, just assume what I tried to tell my clients is just assume that this is the norm. Just play this out in your head to say, okay, 
somewhere along the night, this is going to happen. What is your plan? Prepare yourself. Don't allow yourself to be broadsided by the behavior. I remember when I was first in my recovery and I was saying, wow, 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 about, about the narcissist in my life. And my amazing therapist said to me, you know, Tracy, you are complaining about brown eyes on a person who has brown eyes. You need to accept the fact that this person has brown eyes and move on. And that's what we have to do with narcissism. We have to accept that they are going to get episodic at the holidays. And so prepare yourself so that you don't ruin your holidays. Good advice, Dr. Tracy Campbell. We're going to come back and, and wrap up the discussion. Folks, we're on with Dr. Tracy Campbell. Check her out at drtracy.tv. You can find out all about the different uh, books that she's authored and uh, the services that she provides and other resources that are available. And if, if you have a question or a comment, uh, the phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And as we go into Thanksgiving week, we're going to be surrounded by multiple personalities and not just narcissists, which we spent a good amount of time on, but all sorts of personalities. And I want to go to the phones. I want to go to Linda in Kalamazoo, Michigan on KDKA. Uh, you're on with Dr. Tracy Campbell, the author of Narctionary and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, Linda. Hi, good, good evening. Uh, I've got a question for you, Dr. Kimball. Um, I'm just curious, is narcissism considered a brain disorder, or is it more because someone hasn't been taught the proper boundaries and behaviors, or if they have, they just ignore them? Thank you, Linda. Dr. Kimball? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's not a brain disorder. There are certain brain traumas that can cause narcissistic uh, characteristics in a person. That's a totally different um, conversation than it is. You are not born with with narcissism. Narcissism is an environmentally um, it's an environmental condition. Normally it happens if there is a parent that um, is a narcissist or a child that comes from any type of a, an abandonment trauma. Uh, and what will happen is that narcissism and what's called self-love deficiency disorder on the same spectrum, they're opposite sides of the coin. So, so a narcissist, what happens is due to their early childhood trauma, I'll try to make this really short is that uh, it's a survival mechanism. They put on this false, this false self is what it's called. And out of sheer survival, they, they stop having empathy towards people around them. So it, when you say that they don't care, there's a part of them that literally they don't care. Um, is it curable? It's a personality disorder, which means these are, um, let me t put it in simple words, defects. Uh, in the personality or flaws in the personalities or breakdowns in the personalities that end up causing uh, the the person and the victim um, problems over time. So 
This is why it's a tendency. Remember, at the beginning of the show, we're going to say, is this a tendency or is this narcissistic personality disorder? It's a spectrum. So they can dabble in it all the way up to narcissistic personality disorder, all the way up to sociopath, psychopath. One of the number one things is a lack of empathy where they don't care about how their actions affect other people. Thank you for the call, Linda. And, and Doc, uh, I think that's, that's probably an interesting thing, kind of like you were saying before, that their goal is going to be to take all the attention and, and mess things up if they don't get their fuel. Uh, but the other side of it is they don't, they don't care, right? They don't have the capacity to care. And I think that's uh, an also an interesting thing because I know a lot of people who are, you know, in my business, people in radio, a lot of big personalities, guys that love to hear the sound of their own voice, uh, but they're caring people. And, you know, they, they don't lack empathy. So it, it's, I would say these, it's not safe to assume that everybody in show business or every high-performing athlete or billionaire is a narcissist, more so unless they really lack empathy. I think that that's the big determining factor. You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, that you can catch me on a wrong day and, and somebody will say, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you know, you're so narcissistic. No, I'm just having strong boundaries against people who are not respecting uh, some of my needs in life. Right. So we can easily label people who have strong boundaries as a narcissist. We can easily um, label people who are artists, who are practicing their trade, looking at themselves in the mirror, listening to themselves again and again as a narcissist. Well, no, that's not that that may be a narcissistic trait. However, what really determines a narcissist is that lack of empathy where they just don't care and the degree of not caring. And let me just sidebar. There is something in the narcissistic personality that is called um, fake empathy. So you got to be really careful with that. But, you know, narcissists, narcissistic tendencies, they'll kind of dabble in and out. Do they care? Do they not care? Oh, they, there it was. And then there's not all the way up to a sociopath, psychopath, where they just don't care. They don't, right. they have no remorse. Um, and you can, and if you're asking like, well, how do I know? How do I know? You know, by the apology that you get or don't get from a narcissist, if a narcissist apologizes to you and you're left unhealed, like you're like, why do I still feel empty? It's because you're dealing with a narcissist instead of somebody who says, oh my God, I hurt another person. I am so sorry. And this time I'm going to do it better. That's what a normal person does. A narcissist doesn't respond that way. They'll normally say like, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, and you're, I dealt with you're, those. you're left with that emptiness. Yeah. All right, Doctor Tracy Campbell. Let's see. Let's. Uh, we have a another another call. Uh, let's go to Lance in Galloway, New Jersey, on W O N D. Lance, quickly, go right ahead. Hey, uh, gracious. Good evening. I just want to wish you, you, Rich, and all your listeners a very happy and wonderful Thanksgiving, so that they all can count their blessings. And Doctor, I would just say the thing that I've always found interesting is that. If you're dealing with a narcissist, you should always ask them how they spell schadenfreude. <laughs> and I think they'll, they'll I failed. like their jaw will drop. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. Now, that one escaped me. But uh, I, I appreciate all of the, uh, the good wishes for Thanksgiving and the same to you and yours. Uh, Dr. Kemble, let everybody know how they can find you. And if you have any upcoming events coming up, now would be a good time to let us know. Oh, thanks so much. So the best way to reach me, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Tracy Kemble, and it's Kemble with a K, K-E-M-B-L-E. My program is called Reclaiming Me. 
So you can also reach us on uh, Instagram at uh, Reclaiming Me with Dr. Tracy. And our next program, we have a weekly recovery program. It's called Reclaiming Me, and it takes place every Wednesday and Thursday night. And we're taking a short break right after Christmas, but it's a year-round program, and we start class one on January 1st, but anybody can join at any time. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for sharing all of your uh, valuable knowledge and wisdom with us. I think it was an interesting conversation. Hopefully people won't be uh, using Dr. TikTok to diagnose people at Thanksgiving dinner and uh, mm-hmm. we can try to get through things a little bit better and or potentially uh, identify the, the, the narcissists that are blowing stuff up. And I really do appreciate it. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you, too. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come. Your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we continue our discussion on Thanksgiving and everything else that's going on. And, you know, the other side of things, which I was discussing last night a little bit, was how the, the outlook that one has really affects a lot of things. Um, I, I read from this article last night about how gratitude and being thankful is good for your health, it's good for literal inflammation in your body and it improves your sleep. And, and I was, I was really interested in this article because, you know, I've always known that having a a positive attitude is is good for you, but I didn't know it had so many health benefits. And, and I always read these articles, you know, preparing for the show and whatnot. And I find these things to be fascinating, which is why I try to bring on so many doctors and therapists and whatnot, because I think these are things that are important to know. And it's very easy to get caught up in uh, the cycle of things where we're not thankful for, for what's going on. But all you need to do is like take a trip to New York City and see how crazy things are over there to be like, wow, I'm grateful I don't live there anymore. You know, <laughs> or, or, or even, um, you know, some of the, the images from this uh, brutal war uh, with um, Hamas and the IDF. And I can tell you, whichever side you're on in that battle or indifferent, I know a lot of people are very indifferent with it, Either way, when you see these images of, of children that have been slaughtered by a bomb, children that have been slaughtered by an enemy that went and burned them alive, whatever the case be, it's absolutely brutal, brutal to, to see how that, uh, how, how that is. And, and I think it's important that we remain thankful and, and thankful for a lot of things, right? You know, um, Every guest I have on this show usually highlights a problem and a potential solution in most cases, right? Or some report on a problem. And, you know, we're, we're going to speak about how school standards are being lowered so that kids don't have to know as much and could still get promoted and move on. And, of course, it's always the, the most left-leaning states that do these types of things. You know, um, California, New Jersey, New York. Oregon, Washington State. And it's, um, for me, it's, it's a wake-up call. You know, when I get off the air, I take off the headphones, I think to myself, thank God, I, you know, even if I had to deal with that in some degree with, with my kids when they were in school, I'm grateful that my kids are, are older now 
you know, both legal adults, uh, both in college. And and it's it is comforting to know that I don't have little kids in this time, because I think raising a kid right now is probably the hardest it's been, at least since I've been alive. I think schools are watering down education. And then while they water down the education, they add things that are detrimental to their health. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch, honestly, where you see people uh, attacking this new, um, this young generation with this new thinking. And it may not be so new, but it's packaged in a new package where, you know, it went from, you know, these kids are born this way, saying, no, 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 they're, they're not homosexual, gay, lesbian, whatever. Um, they, they're choosing their gender. They identify as such and they could change back. And it's just remarkable. And, you know, yesterday I mentioned I was at breakfast with a couple of guys in the morning. And one of them told me, you know, how do you how do you let a kid decide to make these permanent changes to their body? And I thought to myself, you can't. You can't even let your kid decide what time they should go to bed. This is what, you know, one of the age-old fights parents have is what time they have to go to bed. So, anyway, little food for thought. Anyway, straight ahead, we're going to talk about lowering school standards and the impact that has. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And tomorrow is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. We'll talk about that more at the bottom of the hour. Uh, the ceasefire has been put in place. The deal has been reached for 50 hostages to be released. Three of them are going to be Americans. And I believe um, I heard earlier four days. I'm looking at some reports are saying five days of ceasefire. So as we get more information on that, we'll um, get into it. And we'll probably dig into that a little bit as well at the top of the next hour. And anybody that's traveled or traveling uh, during this Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, right now, the biggest delays are in Fort Lauderdale and the most cancellations of flights coming out of Dallas. So Godspeed to everybody that's traveling. This is definitely a tough day to travel or even tomorrow or the rest of the, the, the this week and weekend. Uh, it's always not a smooth process, right? Traveling for Thanksgiving. Which, well, I usually don't go away for Thanksgiving. And 
Earlier, I alluded to um, the importance of maintaining standards in schools. And sadly, the state of Oregon just dropped all graduation standards. So basically, they're failing all of their students in the name of equity. And that's a headline in The Hill. Uh, the, the author of this piece is Aaron With, and he's with us right now. Aaron With from the Freedom Foundation. Welcome. Rich, thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I've been a school choice activist since I was young and sit on the board of a charter school now where I was one of the uh, uh, founding members. And uh, this is, to me, the, the way that you give a kid uh, an opportunity to make a difference in their life. And if you lower standards just so they can get uh, a piece of paper or say that they graduated, but they can't get hired or they're not able to survive in life because they lack the skills, they're at a considerable disadvantage. And uh, lamentably, it seems that that's exactly what's happening in Oregon. And they're doing it, of all things, in the name of equity. Tell us more. Yeah, Rich, what's happening in Oregon is happening in other liberal states and cities as well, where the, the education system for our uh, high schoolers and really everybody below that as well, but particularly in high school, um, they're suffering from lower graduation rates because uh, our education system is failing them. So rather than actually increase the education outputs, rather than uh, help our teachers to actually teach these kids, rather they're just going to uh, remove all standards for graduation and uh, give themselves a pat on the back. The, the correlation here is that test scores are declining but graduation rates are increasing. That's not a correlation that makes sense in any logical person's mind. Of course not. And it seems that, that they're still happy to, uh, to to pass these bills, like Senate Bill 744 and, uh, a couple of years ago, and, and they, they keep adding on and they're piling on. Uh, what are the, the factors that are driving this? Is it uh, a push from the left? Is it a push from... Um, the corporatists that are out there, who do you think is really behind this move? Here's what I've, here's what I've observed, is the teachers' unions own our public education system, and they're driving it into the mm-hmm. ground. They've replaced uh, topics like math, reading, writing, English, you know, all those core topics um, that you and I probably went to school and learned. Um, they're replacing those with critical race theory. They're replacing them uh, with sex education uh, and social studies. Uh, because their goal is no longer to educate our next generation of workers. Their goal is to indoctrinate the next generation of liberal voters. Um, so they, they don't, frankly, they don't care about uh, these kids' education. What they care about is, number one, union dues. And number two, who are these kids going to vote for when they leave school? And those two things do nothing for our kids' education. And that's why uh, we're seeing these types of bills prop up in Oregon and other places. Uh, where they're removing these education standards um, so that they can, you know, it started years ago. They can give out participation trophies uh, rather than actually uh, have some merit to a high school diploma. Now, what is the argument that they're posing uh, to get to sell this to the public, to, to the parents of children in these schools? Uh, I would assume that most students aren't failing, that it's a smaller fraction that are failing or not meeting the standard. But when they're selling this idea and they're saying that we're doing this in the name of equity, um, how are they making the argument? They're making it about race, which, you know, whenever you get into an argument with a leftist and they, they don't have an argument to actually uh, put forward, they make it about race. So their argument is that uh, there is a disproportionate amount of 
uh, minority students that are um, that are not graduating school. Um, that that has nothing to do with anything, uh, frankly. Uh, what it has to do with is the um, the teachers and uh, public education system that's failing our students. I mean, there are teachers today in the schools that are not capable of teaching at the level that they should be uh, and not providing the education appropriate for these kids. However, the teachers' unions are protecting these teachers and they're unable to be fired from the public schools. So therefore, they stay in the classroom. They're paid more than their peers based on how long they have been there rather than uh, the meritocracy meritocracy system uh, that we would advocate for that would allow teachers to get paid based on their actual uh, performance. So this whole system that we have in the public education space, none of it is targeted towards actually increasing uh, our kids' outputs and increasing the quality of public education. It's all created towards, like I said, liberal voters and making sure these teachers are um, paying union dues. Now, I see that the Oregon Education Association, the teachers' union, that represents 40,000 teachers, is labeling the uh, statewide summative assessment as an instrument of racism and a biased system. How do they, how do they come up with a test being racist? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's the million-dollar question, Rich. I, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea, but as I mentioned earlier, that's the argument that these people come up with when they have no argument. They make it all about race because that's the argument that apparently plays uh, in public opinion nowadays. But it's completely wrong. I mean, basically what they're saying is that minority students aren't able to, to go and graduate school, so therefore uh, we should remove students. Minority students should be insulted by this. Uh, there, sh- there should be a meritocracy uh, system that rewards people for the hard work that they put in, regardless of their skin color. Uh, it-, it should be about uh, the grades that they get. It should be about the education um, that they're being delivered that they can then go out and test highly on. But that's not what's happening um, in Oregon, unfortunately. Wow. I tell you, there's a lot to digest here. We're going to continue this conversation with Aaron with. CEO of the Freedom Foundation, straight ahead. Plus, if you have a question or a comment, feel free to chime in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're having a discussion with Aaron With. He's CEO of the Freedom Foundation. And Aaron With, um, if anybody's listened to this program before, they've heard me play this clip of audio from a woman named Stacy Robostelli. 
She's director of education at an organization called High Tops. And she is celebrating the idea that their mission in their organization is to bring uh, queer theory and and trans education into the classroom in grades five through eight. But she goes on to say that the importance of reaching kids pre-puberty is more important now than it's ever been. So they're looking at creating a K through two curriculum. And this to me doesn't seem like they're looking to create voters. It, to me, it seems like they're really trying to change the minds of young children. And maybe they're, you know, a coin, you know, two sides of the same coin. But I want you to listen to Stacy Robostelli. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. Aaron with when you hear that, uh, do, do you think that this is part of the reason why we're not teaching math and science and everything else the way we're supposed to? Yeah, it's sick. It's it's sick, Rich. Playing that, it just makes me sick. I mean, these these people, these they're not about educating our children. They're about um, literally mutilating them. Uh, they're about, um, you know, sexualizing them at, at an age that that shouldn't be happening. Um, these kids should never be exposed um, to something like that. And what makes it worse is in liberal states, states like Washington, for example, they pass laws um, to make it illegal for the teachers to actually tell their parents uh, that kids are, quote, transitioning. And they can mm-hmm. actually go to doctor's appointments um, to discuss this on school time without their parents knowing. I mean, the, their agenda is completely sick. And history is going to look back at these guys uh, with a dark day. But I do believe your point that you made earlier is these are two sides of the same coin. If they can uh, confuse these kids, if they can mutilate these kids, uh, then they're confident that they can pump out the next generation of liberal voters. And, mm. and that's what it is about for the teachers' unions, because uh, they rely on uh, liberal voters and they rely on teachers to give them uh, union dues so that they can go and um, pay for the politicians that they want to put into office. I mean, they truly control our political system. They are the number one contributors to liberal politicians in America, more than George Soros or anybody like that, more than Zuckerberg. Uh, these are the guys funding the campaigns of the most radical liberal politicians in America. I think you're right, Aaron, with and at, at your organization, Freedom Foundation, uh, obviously, you've got an eye on this, but what's some of the other work that you're doing? So what we do is singularly focused, and I, I believe that teachers' unions and all government unions, really, they're the number one threat uh, to, to our, um, first of all, our public education system, but uh, they're the number one threat to capitalism and freedom in America. They want to turn America uh, into a socialist country. So uh, there's, a, there's a way that you fix this, and the way that you do it is you help educate every public employee in America, and you tell them where their union dues are being spent and how they can put those union dues back in their pocket. So if any of your listeners are are a teacher or 
a state worker or a county worker or a city worker listening tonight, uh, they may not know that their union dues are being put into the campaigns of people like uh, Joe Biden. And furthermore, they may not know uh, that they can stop those union dues. So we've created a campaign uh, to help every public employee in America to put $1,100 a year, which is about what a public employee pays, back in their pockets and out of the pockets of these radical uh, liberal politicians. And all they have to do is go to optouttoday.com, and we've got all the resources on there tailor-made for that. All right. And again, that website, again, is optouttoday.com, correct? That's right. That's right. Now, it's important, I think, that we have organizations like yours that are focused on this and, and taking on the teachers' unions. I would, I would imagine that uh, you come under considerable backlash and fire from, from them when you push back. Yeah, so, so what happens is, I mean, when you're effective at defunding government unions and of extension defunding the radical left in America, is, yeah, they're going to fight back. Um, so they do that by publicly attacking us, of course. They, uh, they protest all of our events. They put out names and addresses on websites. Um, you know, they'll, um, they'll try and attack us online and send mail to our neighbors and all, all a, a bunch of other crazy stuff. But the bottom line is this, Rich, is that public employees in America have been, have been on the wrong side of this for a long time. I mean, my wife was a public school teacher. Uh, most public servants in America, they're heroes. They're people that just want to um, right. do their jobs. They want to serve the taxpayer. Uh, they want to go home and they want to have done better in the world. Uh, but the problem is these unions have uh, told them that in order to do that, that they must be represented by a union. And therefore, they must pay uh, these union dues, about $1,100 a year. What they don't realize, these public employees, is that without those unions, they probably would have been just fine. Uh, if you're a hard worker that works for any faction of government, uh, you're not going to get fired. Uh, and in fact, if you could probably negotiate your own contract, you'd probably be able to negotiate a better contract than those people that aren't delivering the same service that you are. Um, but the unions, are, uh, the unions don't allow for that. Um, so this public education campaign is all about showing these people that they're better off without the unions and better off with that money back in their pockets. Amen to that, brother. Aaron With, uh, let everybody know your website, how to find you on social media, and how they could take action. Sure. So freedomfoundation.com is our website. It has all of our resources on there. We're on social media, of course. I'm on social media at Aaron Wythe, W-A-R-O-N-W-I-T-H-E. Then I also have a book that came out just a couple months ago. It's called Freedom is the Foundation, and that's available on Amazon as well. Outstanding. And if people um, want to get the book, do they go to your website? Do they go to Amazon? Um, you said it's on Amazon, but is there like a preferred place to get the book? No, either Amazon. Uh, Amazon Freedom is the Foundation uh, by Aaron Wiv. It's on Amazon. It's also on the website. And anybody that donates uh, $25 or more and uh, puts a uh, book in the notes there, uh, we'll send them a free copy as well. Uh, we really want to get this in the hands of people. It tells the story of why uh, unions are so bad and corrupt in America and how we can put this power back in the hands of the people and out of the hands of these uh, radical union bosses like Randy Weingarten. Mm. 
Yeah, she's something else. Well, you know, the corrupt union bosses have been controlling America and our politics by controlling the paychecks of the members that they represent in these unions. So I'm grateful to the work that you're doing because I think this is one of those areas we have to fight back and we have to fight back really, really hard. Because if we don't, um, people really kind of lose their voice and it's this obscure uh, leadership of any particular union that really starts to call the shots. And I've heard one too many union members tell me, well, I would vote for this, but my union told me I got to vote for this. And, and as if they're looking at them and watching them vote. And, you know, in my time in New York City, I can tell you unions know how to mobilize and they get people out there and uh, they're watching. And, and they, they literally are controlling these people by kind of controlling their livelihood. And, th and that's how they get you. So if people want to opt out, go to optouttoday.com. Aaron with uh, from the Freedom Foundation. Good luck with the book. Uh, I appreciate it. And thank you, and happy Thanksgiving, Aaron. Thank you, Rich, and to you. You bet. Folks, straight ahead, we're going to talk about the assassination of JFK with um, some reflection on that Oliver Stone film as well. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez, we're coming right back. Welcome back. And tomorrow, the 22nd of November, marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. And very, very interesting stuff going on here because this is one of those things that, again, happened well before I was born. And yet here we are still 60 years later with people going, well, we really don't know what happened, right? You know, you've got... Uh, all these different people, Jack Ruby, Lee Harvey Oswald, the Warren Commission, the CIA, and, and yet people put the puzzle pieces together. Everybody thinks that it was this one. Everybody thinks it was the other one. And I want to get to the bottom of it uh, with our guest, Fred Litwin. Uh, he's founder of Northern Blues Music and Free Thinking Film Society, and he's the author of Oliver Stone's Flim Flam, The Demagogue of Dealey Plaza. Fred Litwin, welcome. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Likewise, I'm I'm looking forward to a really robust conversation on this because this isn't really a topic I I've ever really followed much. I've always just kind of chalked it up to we'll never really know. And uh, you know, we've heard different things, and I've heard all of the even the sidebar stuff on Marilyn Monroe and and the, the cover up into her, her death, and it, it's it's just fascinating. And I I don't put it past anybody that there's a lot of malfeasance here and cover up. But uh, let's talk about your book. Okay. Well, my book is basically a debunking of Oliver Stone's documentary series, JFK Destiny Betrayed. Uh, this is a series he did in 2021. It's a four-part series. When I saw it, I was determined uh, to debunk. It's just so full of nonsense and things that aren't true. And uh, it was so easy to debunk. And I did it every day on my blog, and it turned into a 500-page uh, book. Well, let's let's dig into it because we've got a little bit of time to really um, delve into it. And I'd like you to kind of walk us through 
the the implications here of, uh, of a potential cover up, the involvement of President Johnson and uh, kind of what you uh, debunked along the way? Well, I think people should should understand that I, I, I actually believe there were several cover ups. The FBI had a cover up uh, the fact that they destroyed a note from Lee Harvey Oswald uh, that he delivered to the office threatening them. The CIA had to cover up their assassination plots against Castro, where they were working with the mob. The Secret Service had to cover up some of their stuff. The reality is that, is that while there was cover-ups, there was actually no conspiracy, and that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman who killed JFK, and there's actually no, no real questions about it. So what was the... Um the rationale that you came up with, because obviously there was, like you said, notes that were destroyed and, uh, you know, lots of stories that flew around. Did the stories fly around for the sake of being fantastical uh, or sensational or was there um, um, some other reason? Well, I think first off, there were the people were covering up to sort of cover their, you know what, um, there is a lot of stuff to cover up because it's, it's embarrassing. The CIA could not tell the public that it was working with the mob to assassinate Castro. So that was a secret that had to be kept, and that was covered up. Um, the reality is is that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a Marxist. He hated America. He was in love with Fidel Castro. He wanted to go to Cuba. He couldn't get there. He thought Cuba was the next great experiment and how to live your life. And he decided to strike a blow for the Cuban Revolution. He was angry at at the United States for sabotage in Cuba, and he killed Kennedy to strike a blow for the Cuban Revolution. And what's your thought on the um, the relationship that existed between the uh, the CIA and President Kennedy? Well, President Kennedy uh, inherited uh, the, the Bay of Pigs plan, which was developed by the CIA at the at the behest of the Eisenhower administration. Kennedy, the plan was put in place. Kennedy really didn't do his due diligence and really didn't oversee it properly. It was a complete failure, a failure on the CIA's part and also a failure on Kennedy to really uh, do his homework. He realized that, and uh, well, the first thing he did was he changed the head of the CIA. Alan Dulles had to re- re- resign. Kennedy put his own man into the CIA, John McCone. A lot of people were let go. They professionalized the CIA. And the one thing that Kennedy did learn was that he actually liked covert action. And covert action, covert activities under Kennedy skyrocketed versus the Eisenhower administration, although he did move some of the covert activity to the Defense Department. But he was in love with, with secrecy and all sorts of different covert moves. And what are your thoughts uh, on the lead-up to the formation of the Warren Commission? Well, some people have this belief that Alan Dulles was put on the Warren Commission, that he was put on because the CIA wanted him there to cover up CIA involvement. The truth was that Robert Kennedy actually wanted Alan Dulles on the CIA, on the, on the Warren Commission. And I believe that he wanted Alan Dulles on the Warren Commission to cover up not CIA involvement in the assassination, but to cover up those assassination attempts that the Kennedy brothers had approved. That had to be covered up, and Alan Dulles was the perfect person to do that. And, folks, there's a lot in this book. Um, the uh, the medical evidence supporting the lone gunman that uh, Mr. Litwin just pointed out and so much more. 
Uh, Fred, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Well, you can go to my website, www.onthetrailofdelusion.com, all one word, onthetrailofdelusion.com, and there are links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers where you can buy my book in both print and ebook format. Outstanding. Folks, we're on with Fred Litwin. Uh, he's the author of the book, Oliver Stone's Flim Flam, The Demagogue of Dealey Plaza. And he debunks the film uh, by Oliver Stone and really touches on a number of topics. Uh, I have not read the book, but it seems like an incredible read. I recommend getting a couple of copies, one for yourself and one to give away as a gift now that uh, Christmas time is coming around. And it's a great stocking stuffer. Uh, tell everybody the website where they can get the book. It's www.onthetrailofdelusion.com. That's all one word, onthetrailofdelusion.com. Fred Litwin, I want to thank you for sharing the book with us, and I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We continue our discussion on the January 6th tapes and discussion around that. Plus, we've got Open Phone America that starts at the top of the hour. You can get your calls in for that, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're going to talk about uh, some additional January 6th stuff. But I wanted to get to this story real quick. And you guys remember Sam Bankman-Fried, right? The guy who was the CEO of FTX, the biggest cryptocurrency exchange in the world up until about a year ago. And, of course, uh, after Coindesk reported that they were up to no good, and most of their value came from speculative cryptocurrency tokens. Uh, they quickly um, were shut down, and uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was indicted, and then indicted again, and then he was not, and then he was again. <laughs> All sorts of crazy there. And a company called Binance, um, operated by a guy named Champeng Zhao, they purchased a 20% stake in FTX for about $100 million six months after Sam Bankman-Fried uh, started the firm in August of 2020. And now Binance is in a problem of their own. The CEO of Binance, the aforementioned Shang Peng Zhao, he just pled guilty to federal charges and he's stepping down. And everybody's least favorite attorney general of the United States had this to say. We are here today to announce that the Justice Department has secured felony guilty pleas from the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance. 
and from its founder and CEO, Changpeng Zhao, also known as CZ. Separate from the criminal enforcement actions the Justice Department is announcing today, Secretary Yellen and Chairman Benham will also announce civil regulatory enforcement actions and the Treasury Department and the, that the Treasury Department and the CFTC are taking against Binance. While criminal and civil enforcement actions are subject to different legal standards, this collective effort represents the whole of government approach that we are taking to combat corporate crime. Binance has agreed to plead guilty to willfully violating the Bank Secrecy Act, knowingly failing to register as a money transmitting business, and willfully violating the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. These laws ensure that our financial institutions are not available to designated terrorist organizations, drug traffickers, and sanctioned nation states that threaten public safety and our national security. The Justice Department is requiring Binance to pay $4.3 billion in penalties and forfeitures. This is one of the largest penalties we have ever obtained from a corporate defendant in a criminal matter. So when they don't raise your taxes, they go and fine a bank, <laughs> right? $4.3 billion. Now, this guy, Shangpeng Zhao, um, also known as CZ and not Cubic Zirconia, this guy's the billionaire founder, CEO of Binance. So he stepped down. I guess they were going to fire him anyway. He pled guilty to um, federal charges, as Merrick Garland just mentioned. And uh, the the penalty here is $4.3 billion that they have to pay to the Justice Department. Isn't that something? Right? Usually when you hear a guilty plea, you think, oh, man, this guy's going to go to jail. Nah, he's just got to give out a lot of money. Uh, and that's probably why he pled guilty. And they have this settlement with the Department of Justice. Anyway, the uh, plea arrangement with the government resolves this multi-year investigation into the, to the organization. Zhao uh, appeared before Judge Brian Sheeta in uh, Seattle courtroom to enter his guilty plea. And uh, he posted on Twitter uh, saying that he made some mistakes and must take responsibility he said Richard Tang, the company's former global head of uh, regional markets, has been named the new CEO of Binance. So to me, it looks like this was just a way to move money around. Um, but again, I'm just a skeptic on these things. I don't know a ton about cryptocurrency. I just know that I keep hearing about these organizations doing the wrong thing and having to give out a lot of money and one's bankrupt and this one looks like it's not in great shape right now. But um Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, she says that they allowed illicit actors to make more than 100,000 transactions that supported activities like terrorism and illegal narcotics, and it allowed more than 1.5 million virtual currency trades that violated U.S. sanctions. So this is likely um, something that I say we should look into. I don't know who we would be. I wouldn't know how to go about looking into this, but I'd be curious to know who are the terrorist organizations they're supporting because, again, you know, when the government says something is a terrorist, you know, they might be talking about a PTA group where they believe in, in traditional gender roles, right? I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm curious to see what, what they're considering a, a terrorist today. Now, it says in the article that they did uh, allow transactions uh, with accounts associated with groups like Hamas, um, the Islamic Jihad, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. Uh, but I'm wondering if those are the only ones, right? And saying that they never filed a suspicious activity report. So if all that's true, 
then uh, good. I'm glad we shut it down and we're, we, we've kind of closed the door on the black market to fund terrorism. And uh, hopefully we're not going to fill in the gap and continue funding terrorism, right, with our taxes or returning sanctions and allowing uh, Iran to continue to do what they do and funnel that money over to Hamas. When Biden's saying, hey, take back 10 million here, take this, take 6 billion here, because that's crazy. Anyway, um, that's the story on this. I'm going to get to the January 6th stuff straight ahead, plus your calls. And remember, we got Open Phone America coming up, so you can dial in for that. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back again. Open phone America starts in just a few minutes on the other side of this hour. Our phone number is 833-482-5337. Lots to discuss tonight as we go into Thanksgiving. And uh, I want to go to Doc in Wilmington, Delaware. He's got some thoughts on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. JFK, excuse me, Doc on WDEL. Go right ahead. Rich, thanks for taking my call at number two. To you and your family, all your staffers there, Mr. Tom, who takes my calls, everybody else. I'm very merry and happy, happy and safe Thanksgiving this year to all of you. To all of Thank you. you, sir. Likewise. Now, here's my, my take on the, on the JFK assassination. I think it's already been solved, Rich, in a, in a, in a sense. Hear me out. Um, President Lyndon Baines Johnson classified all that stuff along with the Warren Commission. He had to sign off with an executive order. It's been classified by the president since. They're, they're released getting dribs and drabs. Um, he had an interview after he died with Walter Cronkite at his ranch in Texas. He was he was long haired, looked like actually an aging hippie dippy. And uh, yeah. the interview here's the kicker of the interview. It was to be published and aired only after President Johnson's death, which Walter Cronkite did. He said, "Mr. President, Mr. President Johnson, who killed JFK?" He took a deep breath, pause, and said, "Walter, I can't tell you that because if I did, the American people would demand of me World War III." Now, what does that tell you? That tells you the other side did it. The the, the, the communists, and, and possibly in league with the mob, both. Could have been both of them. Um, but the communists were behind it with uh, the, the Soviet KGB under Khrushchev. He had a history of assassinations during his tenure as the head of the Soviet Union. And also, he said on that program, WJ, uh, JFK wanted to get Castro, and Castro got him first. That's on live TV, okay? You can look it up. Mm-hmm. CBS News. That's my theory as to why, what happened out of, out of a president's mouth who investigated, who had the who had the wherewithal with the FBI and the, and the Secret Service at his disposal and, and CIA at his disposal to investigate the whole thing. That's why I think the case has been closed for years. But I, what I don't believe is that Oswald pulled the trigger. I think he was part of the conspiracy, but he did not pull the trigger. I don't, I don't believe that happened. That's All my right. take on the whole now, thing. Now, Doc, where were you when this happened? How old were you? 
when the when the interview was conducted with uh, no, not the interview John when JFK Peter, got shot. I know when JFK was shot. I know where I was. I, I was nine years old and I was in third grade. And what was it like? It was. I'll tell you what happened. Um, they let us out of school early. The PA. It came over the PA. We're letting out of school early. Students, boys and girls. I was in elementary school in Ohio at the time, Midwestern town. And they said, we're laying out of school early. We have bad news. President Kennedy has been shot. Okay. And uh, my, my parents came. They called the principal's office. My mother came and she picked up. My sister was not in school. She was a little, little toddler. She picked up my brother and myself at elementary school in Ohio, a, a town outside of Toledo. And she, uh, mom picked us up in the, uh, in mm-hmm. the um, family car and she had the radio on. And it was all over the news. I mean, you couldn't turn on. We we we, we watched in rapt attention from our TV as the um, the right. uh, news of the assassination came. Of course, Walter Cronkite choking up and saying the president has, has expired. He's dead, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. And we watched that on TV at my parents' house. Well, Doc, thank you for the call. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And I appreciate the history lesson. Um, I doubt they sent kids home early from school when Reagan got shot, but that's a different story for a different day. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up next. Get your calls in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Open Phone America and me, Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. Uh, It's almost Thanksgiving, and our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is the third hour of the program where you get to call in on any topic and give us your opinions and thoughts on what we've discussed, on things you want to bring to the table It's been dubbed Open Phone America. It's really one of my favorite parts to talk to people all over the country. And um, if you're a first-time caller, we move you to the front of the list. If you are disagreeing with me, we move you to the front of the list. And I'm happy to speak with so many of our regulars, and um, it's always a pleasure. It really is. And I want to go through a little rundown with you. I'm hoping I get through all of this tonight because we got some really interesting stuff here. But um, a Democrat, former mayor, just got 30 years in prison for child porn. Uh, Israel reached a deal with Hamas on a uh, multi-day ceasefire in exchange for 50 hostages, three of which are Americans. And a couple of actresses have gotten themselves into trouble because of their posts on and comments on on the um, war against Hamas. Uh, one actress was fired and another one, a very famous one, was dropped by her talent agency. We'll get to that shortly. The uh, House Judiciary uh, Committee has subpoenaed the deputy special counsel in the Hunter Biden probe we might touch on that towards the end. 
And uh, four of the teens uh, have been identified in that case where uh, there was a bunch of black kids that beat up a white kid in Las Vegas for sticking up for his friend who was getting robbed. They're being charged as adults, and there's information about them. So we'll get into that in a little bit. And earlier this year, there was a story on racism. And, of course, there's always stories on racism. But this one is of particular interest to me because it it suggests that racism and sleep have a correlation. Some Some researchers are saying that black Americans are less likely to get a good night's rest. And I thought... This is fascinating, right? Um, And I heard a clip of audio of a woman explaining why. Check this out. Let's talk about the sleep gap. Did you know that black Americans do not sleep as well as white Americans do? The Center for Disease Control and Prevention conducted and published research in 2020 on sleep in the U.S., The results showed that 43.5% of black or African-Americans had trouble sleeping, compared with 30.7% of white respondents. Black and Latinx people in the US spend 15% of their night in deep sleep, which is the most restorative and regenerative phase of sleep, compared to 20% of white Americans. Poor sleep is a public health problem. Whether it's because of historical stress, maltreatment or health inequities, black Americans do not sleep enough. And poor sleep is a feedback loop. And the effects of poor sleep mean you're more likely to get bad sleep again. This sleep gap is worsened for people that are low income, disabled or undocumented. Looking back to the enslavement of black people in the US, fatigue has been used as a measure of control against black people. This is why several campaigners and academics are pitching sleep as an act of resistance for the black community. To rest, even to take naps, is an act of self-care, is an act of resistance. So this Black History Month, to any black person watching this video, remember to rest. All right, now again, that was uh, from earlier this year. But I, I had to, to, to bring it up because I, I saw it earlier today and I thought, man, this is interesting. Now, look, I'm not... Um, taking exception to the fact of what she said entirely, right? Because I happen to be what they call Latinx or brown, and I can tell you I have a lot of trouble sleeping. I mean, it probably has to do with my job where I get off the air at 1 a.m. and I'm kind of, you know, a cup of coffee or a diet soda into the game here, and <laughs> I'm just uh, hopped up on caffeine. But I, I real when she talks about people that are, aren't earning as well, or this and that. Yeah, that makes sense. People lose sleep over things all the time. That's why we have that saying, nothing to lose sleep over, right? But if your bills are due and you can't pay them, then go right ahead. Now, this is an argument I was just having, or a discussion, I should say, that I was having with a friend of mine who is a progressive, left-leaning Democrat. And the discussion was on how white people are the oppressor. And I have to say, when it comes to sleep, I'm not sleeping because white people are coming after me, per se. That's my personal situation. I don't know any of my black friends, the people in my orbit, that are losing sleep because of white people, per se. Right? I just, I don't see that. So I think this is another one of those instances where you take something that may be true. It may be true that uh, blacks and Hispanics don't sleep as well as white people. It may be. Does it mean that sleep itself is racist? Absolutely not. That's crazy. Uh, It could mean 
uh, and I've always taken this to understand this way. It, obviously, these are generalizations. It's not everybody. But if you have a country, right, that was started in the revolution by a bunch of guys that were rebelling against the British crown, those guys, uh, maybe a couple of them are Puerto Rican, but by and large, they weren't, right? So this country was started by folks from Europe. And they have the longer legacy here. If you go four generations back in my family, it goes back to Puerto Rico. Other people who might be white, you go four generations black, and it goes back to Plymouth Rock. Okay. Or five or six, whatever the amount of generations is. The point I'm making is if you've been here longer and you've grown roots longer, then you have more to show for yourself. To me, it makes all the sense in the world. I don't see why that is in and of itself an issue. Uh, my dad came here in 1955 from Puerto Rico to the Bronx and then to Brooklyn. Simple enough for me, right? The building that my family has done from 1955 to now is a lot shorter than that of another family because they weren't here to build, to earn, to create, to have that legacy. I don't think that's racism. I think that's fact. That's just how it worked out. So it, when, you, when she says undocumented people and this and that, these are people that are facing financial hardship. If you're facing financial hardship, irrespective of your race, you're going to lose sleep. That's just how that works. And I, for the life of me, I can't understand why they even do these types of things, these studies. Like this one was referencing a, a study from Yale University that found that black Americans had the highest rate of short sleep compared to their non-white counterparts. Now, if that's in fact the case, then what we've got to do is work on policies and strategies to make sure that black Americans can earn more. I'm sure if they broke it down by how much money they're earning, I'm sure Jay-Z isn't having a problem sleeping unless it's related to his work. I'm sure uh, uh, Sean Combs, who earlier this week made a, some sort of settlement to, to squash a case that was brought against him. He's got a bunch of money. I think these guys are both billionaires. Um, I'm sure that he's not having trouble sleeping. So it's not a question of race. It's a question of how are we equipping certain people? Now, if you want to say that there is a uh, systemically racist attack against people of color so that they can't earn wealth, I could entertain that argument and say, all right, let's talk about that. You know, let's see why. And I would probably bring it back to education. Are we going to the same schools? Are our schools of the same quality? I can tell you that having worked in government and, and as, a, uh, as part of the charter school movement in New Jersey, there are instances where several school districts in several places that are minority, um, predominantly minorities, those schools don't perform as well. And it's not because there's blacks and Hispanics there. It's because they don't run these schools as well because they've become like a project, a pet project of those that are running the school who are oftentimes themselves black and Hispanic going on every whim of the teachers union and not doing what they have to do. I mean, there's also something to be said for parental involvement, uh, the educational attainment of the parents. Are these children coming from a one or two parent home? All of these things affect educational outcomes, which ultimately I think affect how you're going to earn. Not in every case, but in most. So it, it's, it's striking to me that this woman would make the case that sleep is in and of itself racist. And if you take a nap, you're part of the resistance. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe it was a tongue-in-cheek commentary of hers, but I think everybody, if you're tired, take a nap. Sleep is incredibly important. We've talked about that with experts on this program, and I just wanted you to hear that because I thought it was remarkable that, th that they suggest this. Now, of course, the researchers did say it's not because of biological differences. It's more likely attributed to social and structural factors that influence our opportunity to get good sleep. And, and I get that. Uh, they, they're citing things like noise pollution. I can tell you this. Some people like to sleep with the sound of uh, like what they call white noise. You know, it sounds like that may put some people to sleep. Drives me nuts. You know what else drives me nuts? Crickets, crickets and other animals that are out there in the wilderness. Right. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I, li I lived in Hudson County, New Jersey. Now I have crickets in the suburbs. And, and if I don't hear a fire truck every now and again, if I don't hear a plane going over my house, if I don't hear some sort of traffic, it's not right for me. It's too quiet. It's crazy. And it gets me anxious. <laughs> so I think everything's situational and this stuff has nothing to do with race. And it's crazy that some people would even suggest that it is. Anyway, I want to get to your calls and more straight ahead. We've got a, a few people on the line from Arizona, Arkansas, Idaho, and more that are coming in. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Wohan will spend 30 years in prison after he pled guilty to 140 counts stemming from child pornography possession and distribution. It's a dramatic fall from grace for a man who served as College Park's mayor for seven years. The state's attorney defended the sentence. This was an agreed to plea. So both parties, both sides, my office and the defense, sat down and hashed out what we believed was appropriate. Authorities began investigating the 48-year-old Wuhan in February after they got a tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They were told someone in their county was distributing child pornography. When police raided Wuhan's home and seized his electronic devices, they say they found more than 1,500 videos and images depicting child pornography and that Wuhan admitted sharing them on a private kick account. He resigned several days later, shocking the community he had served. So that's uh, the former mayor of College Park, Maryland, Patrick Wohan. He's a Democrat, got sentenced to 30 years. And who exactly is this guy? Well, he was a regular at the White House. He was a guest and, quote, mentee of Secretary Pete Buttigieg. He was arrested back in March on child porn and possession and distribution charges and a press release from the Prince George's County Police Department says that Wuhan faced multiple counts of possession, exploitative uh, child material, 16 counts of distribution, and um, other uh, 
charges of child porn. The uh, department was alerted by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children back in February that a social media account was operating within the county and distributing suspected child pornography. Isn't that something? So they found who was doing it, and they found the screen name Skippy MD. And who did it belong to? Mayor Wohan, uh, Pete Buttigieg's uh, mentee. So this guy used a VPN to mask his location when accessing the social media account. But on February 28th, a warrant was served in the home of the Democrat mayor where police seized a hard drive, multiple cell phones, a tablet, and a computer containing child porn. Wohan's charged with 40 counts of possession of uh, child exploitative material and 16 counts of distribution and everything else that you just heard in the news report. And he's in custody in the Department of Corrections. So um, there he was. He was arrested. And then, of course, now he was just sentenced uh, today. And it's just it's just fascinating to see how this stuff happens. Um, Mayor, uh, excuse me, former mayor, Mayor Pete, uh, he was he was mentored by Pete Buttigieg. And it's uh, it's reported here that he branded himself an LGBTQ role model. Now, he first met Buttigieg when he was elected back in 2015 and went to the U.S. Conference of Mayors and um, met the um, current secretary, Pete Buttigieg, who was assigned to be his buddy. Not too far after that, these guys, um, they're each of their respective marital partners, uh, Kolasar and Chastin Buttigieg, uh, were introduced to each other at a White House reception under the Obama administration. And uh, Mr. Wohan said, I actually met Mayor Pete shortly after I was elected, and they've been buddy-buddy uh, ever since. And I'm looking at a bunch of pictures of Mayor Pete and uh, Mayor Wohan uh, together here. And it's uh, just interesting to see, you know, you've got to be a good judge of character in life. And, you know, clearly... Secretary Buttigieg is not that good of a judge of character. But in defense, this guy was probably living a secret life. Now, it's also reported that um, Wohan was also a panelist headlining one of D.C.'s LGBTQ organizations called the Capital Pride Alliance and led a conversation called Learning and Activism, focusing on key areas impacting the LGBTQ community and their responsibility as leaders within their organizations to support and foster an intersectional social justice movement. And uh, that's according to the dailyfetch.com where that's being reported. So that's the story on uh, Mayor Wohan, um, what looks to be a good friend of Mayor Pete's, Secretary Buttigieg, rather. I want to get your opinions on this and everything else that we've talked about tonight. Let's uh, go to the phones. We've got, uh, let's see, Pat in Sedona, Arizona, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. Go right ahead, Pat. Hey, Rich. You know what? I really appreciate you. I mean, you're so good. You step into things not knowing anything about them sometimes, and that takes a lot of guts with live radio. I mean, you're, you're like the JFK stuff. Extraordinary. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I said uh, like the JFK well, stuff. You, I wasn't you, there. You, what could I possibly know? 
Well, the the Kennedy thing. I mean, you weren't there. You weren't born then. I was three years old when he uh, when he was killed. So I really didn't know he was killed either. I mean, that mm. that was something you and I have in common. But um, I'd like to talk about this thing that I heard on the radio. I'm at work. They have this radio. Pat, before you in. get started on that, I'm going to put you on hold again for a second because we got to pause for a commercial. And then we're going to come back and um, introduce the story. And then I'm going to get to your call. Because I know you want to talk about the Transgender Day of Remembrance and President Biden's reaction to that. And I don't want to cut you off short. And the music's already playing. So stick with us, folks. We're coming right back to your calls and more. We've got calls from all over the country. 833-482-5337. We're getting to your calls momentarily. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Looking forward to speaking with all of you. Don't move a muscle. down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And there's an update on that Las Vegas case where that boy um, who happened to be white was beaten by a bunch of other boys that happened to be black. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to get to your calls uh, because we left Pat on hold because we ran out of time. Pat in Sedona, Arizona, go right ahead. Well, you know, Rich, I'd like to also put down you are brave, my friend. You are very brave. That should go along with that tagline you play that you're brown and you're proud. I mean, you are brave. (laughs) A lot of these subjects we talk about are very, uh, they're, they're like a match. They can start a fire, and we have to be careful. And um, they had a remembrance in my state where I used to come from in Colorado Springs where they had this gay bar that was attacked, and it was uh, they finally caught the person. turned out mm-hmm. to be a woman. She had shot to death five people. Wow. Now, I think, but I'm not sure of this, that she was transgender. It was a woman transitioning to a man, and she was doing that male hormone, which makes her very aggressive. We know we had another incident at a school with a younger woman that did this. And I want to say something, because when they called this transgender thing, they talked about all the people that were killed by because they were transgender. Now, they went all through the... Uh, all the people who died this year, and they said there was over 26 of them. And there's this guy on the radio. I wish I knew his name because I tried to get it, but I couldn't. Yeah. But he talked about how uh, he went. He did the he did the thing he shouldn't do. He didn't presume that they were killed because they were transgender. He went and looked at each person and investigated their deaths, and one of them turned out to be. Um, um, was, I think it was a woman transitioning to a man. Uh, I, I, I get a little mixed up on this stuff, so yeah. please uh, bear with me on it. I want to do it right. Um, and this person was trying to steal from a uh, famous drugstore. I, I don't know, wherever they can right. steal from a drugstore and, and try to stop him. He shot him and killed him. And wow. that wasn't 
somebody saying, oh, you're transgender, I'm going to shoot you. No. Right. Just happened to be trans and happened to get shot in the wrong place, wrong time. And uh, did you see any tweets from President Biden on that? Well, they, they said that he was talking about it in the speech because they made a transgender day, which was yesterday, of course, on the 20th. And uh, it, just, it, it just shows that the Biden administration and these people that are, are doing him are losing because they can't get it right. I mean, you're right. You're right. People can't get it right. No matter what you do, they, they come at you, Pat, like, you know, you, you, you did this, you did that. I think most people are just trying to live their lives and do it the best they can. And it's hard to keep up with the fluidity of, of all of this. Uh, but I appreciate your thoughts on uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance. And uh, thanks for the story as well, Pat. Have a great Thanksgiving. And I, I mentioned that I wanted to I'm going to get to the rest of your calls. I promise um, I want to make sure I hit this story because there's an update on the shoot, uh, the I'm sorry, the the beating, killing of this uh, young man, Jonathan Lewis, who was killed in Las Vegas, and uh, CBS News Now has the story. Trevion Randolph, Gianni Robinson, Damon Hernandez, and Dontrell Beaver all walked into court handcuffed. In court filings, investigators stating that teens who are either 16 or 17 could be gang-affiliated. Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson says they need to be held responsible for the death of 17-year-old Jonathan Lewis. it's, It's a sad day that all this happened. But at the end of the day, I believe there have to be consequences. People make choices. The attorney for Gianni Robinson expressed concern over the charges. You can't get a driver's license until the age of 20 or of, of 16. You, you can't enter a contract until the age of 18. Yet you can be charged as an adult when you're under the age of 18. So that's of grave concern. The teens were identified through cell phone videos. Wilson says nine teens have so far been arrested. Ten students are accused of beating Lewis in an alley near Rancho High School on November 1st. The dispute was reportedly over stolen headphones and a marijuana vape cartridge. Lewis died as a result of his injuries days later. All right, that's uh, CBS News Now 8 in Las Vegas, KLAS. And this is, again, uh, some of these teens, four out of the, the nine that have been arrested, are now being charged as adults, and uh, their names are in the report. Uh, Dontel Beaver, Gianni Robinson, Damian Hernandez, and Travion Randolph. Uh, these guys are all 16 and 17 years old, being charged as adults. Each was formally charged with second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit battery with substantial bodily injury uh, Tuesday morning. And uh, all I could say is, look, let them all have a fair trial. Let them all have their day in court. But the fact that this kid lost his life for trying to defend his friend who was getting robbed, uh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And the way they handled this was disgusting. That is how people die. When you beat them down, when 10 people went to 10 on one, if George Floyd died with one knee from a cop and some fentanyl, trust me, nine or 10 people on top of somebody is going to kill them too. You got to have sense. And for this idiot attorney to say, uh, well, you know, they can't enter into a contract. They can't do whatever. They can't vote. No, but they can murder. And that's what they're being tried for, murder. So stopping a pendejo. That's a horrible defense. I would would never pay that lawyer. Guy's an idiot. 
So that's the update on this story. The students were identified in videos that were pulled um, from, you know, surveillance cameras and whatnot and from the school, showing them leaving the school building. And uh, homicide detectives were able to piece this together. And after they were arrested, they were released to their parents. And now they've been um, now they've, you know, showed up in court today. So we'll see what happens. Let's see if there's a plea deal. Uh, maybe they end up with like a involuntary manslaughter or something like that. And it's a little bit um, less of a charge. Who knows? But um, you got to hold these kids accountable. There's way too many stories of people acting up and doing craziness and, and no accountability at all. So with that said, let's go to the calls. Uh, we have a lot here. Let's see. Um, where did I leave off? Let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay, let's go to, um, where was I? I left off, Boise, Idaho. Paul in Boise, Idaho, listening online. Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com. Paul, go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. Stellar show, great topics. Thanks. Mind-provoking. Yep, good stuff. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to talk about the, the uh, the schooling that's not going on basically over in Oregon. Yeah, we're we're right on the border with Ontario, which is a large city to the very east of the state, and um, they have their their um, I forget what you call them, where you sell marijuana in the store. Oh, the dispensaries. They've got all those. Yeah, they got those all over the place in, in Ontario. Do you think that's contributing to the education problem? Well, that's that's a, to me that's a gateway drug. You get involved with the marijuana, and it moves on to everything else eventually. That's the way I view it. Some people say no. Some people say yes. That's just how I feel. But and when, what do you think about this case out of Las Vegas, Paul, with uh, respect to these kids being tried as adults? Do you think that's fair or unfair? No, I think it's fair. They're, they're, they're not getting charged with anything. They're getting a slap on the wrist and they get to go. Now well, they're, they're being charged with second-degree murder. I don't know if that's going to last or not, but um, that is the, the charge for at least four of them that are being tried as adults There's because um, I guess they're 16 and 17. I don't know the ages on the other ones. But I'm curious to see how it plays out because um, somebody's dead, right? Somebody's kid is dead. Uh, a kid that tried to be a hero, tried to do the right thing in life to, to get the headphones back or to prevent the kid from getting robbed. And, and, you know, I just think about that. And it's like, you know, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And it's, it's sad that this is happening. And uh, kind of like the lawyer in the beginning said, uh, bad things happen and it's unfortunate, but people do have to be held accountable. Paul in Boise, Idaho, I appreciate the call. Godspeed to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. We're coming right back to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. Richard in Danbury, Connecticut, WLAD. Go right ahead. Thanks for taking my call, um, Rich, Mr. Valdez. Hey, yes, uh, condolences about your brother. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, I know it's going to be a tough uh, Thanksgiving without him. But listen, yeah. I did want to say was usually what happens is when I used to listen to Jim, he used to ever before every Thanksgiving, he used to uh, get uh, callers to call in and, and talk about the pie they were going to have. So I want to bring that up, and uh, I will vote for a sweet potato uh, pie, a piece of sweet potato pie uh, around Thanksgiving. What about yourself? You know, I'm a big fan of the apple pie, but I want to say I love that idea. And um, with the permission of the audience, I will continue that tradition. I'm, I'm very curious to know what kind of pie people are having. And, uh, of course, you know, being Hispanic, I'm sure there's going to be uh, some, uh, some, some flan. We love flan. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, great idea. Thank you for your well wishes to me and my family. And I wish you a great Thanksgiving. And we will definitely try and keep the, uh, the pie uh, tradition alive here on the program. I do appreciate it. Let's continue. And go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And on a light note, uh, you ever seen that movie, My Cousin Vinny? It's a funny story. With I'm going to share Pesci. with you something very few people know. So My Cousin Vinny is with Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. And uh, the last caller mentioned my brother, uh, Bobby, Robert Valdez, who was a United States Marine. But when he came out of the Marine Corps, he was an actor. And he actually dated a very young Marissa Tomei. How's that for a little uh, behind the scenes? And wow. Sarah, isn't that cool? That is so cool. That is yeah. wonderful. Well, I remember about your brother. I remember we lived on, um, I think we lived on Avenue U at that time. And uh, she came to the house one time. And, uh, and I met her as I was very, very little. And, uh, and she was very pretty. Uh, she's still very pretty, but she was very pretty back then. And I want to ask you, Sarah, what kind of pie are you uh, having for Thanksgiving? Uh, we're having, it's made, it's made like a pumpkin pie, but my sister grows squash, and she got a pie a variety of squash, and it makes a better pumpkin pie than pumpkin does because it has a huh. sweet caramel, creamy flavor. Sounds delicious. Now, tell me about my cousin Vinny. Well, you remember when, okay, Joe Pesci keeps messing up. Well, you know, the okay. He keeps trying to sleep in the country, and everything wakes him up, and he can't get a good night's sleep. And he finally gets thrown in jail for contempt of court by the judge, right. and they have the jail riot. And remember, he's sleeping soundly because there's sirens and people yelling, right. and it's That's first me. night's sleep he gets there. <laughs> That's so funny. I totally forgot about that. You're right. That's like part of the plot of the movie. Uh, Sarah, thank you for that. I appreciate it, and I really appreciate the call. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, let us continue here. Let's go to Joe, Salem, Arkansas. K-S-A-R, go right ahead. Yeah, Rich. Um, oh, that my cousin Vinny, that's one of the that's one of the best ones. Classic. I uh I got interested in law a little bit to, oh I I just got ticket after tickets and I got tired of court costs and fines. And so I decided to study um some law there to defend myself. And the best issue I could come up with was the mon- money issue because every state has a uh, uh 
lawful money of account statute, okay? And they've never been amended or repealed to, to reflect uh, debt money that we've got today, promissory notes, you know. But uh, anyway, all, all, all of us uh, decided that was our favorite movie, uh, Pesci and uh, Marissa. Yeah. But uh, Great movie. what I wanted to talk about here was, uh, oh, by the way, I learned something tonight. I was born in 55, and that's when your folks came over here, right? Yeah. Yeah, old man. Juan Valdez. That's his real name, by the way. Is it what? Juan Valdez. Oh, well, great. I'm, I'm telling you, that's uh, 55 has been a long ways back. But anyway, I, I was about eight when Kennedy got uh, assassinated. I think fourth grade, and yeah, our school let out early, and uh, people were, adults were crying on every corner on the way home. I mean, unbelievable. What a solemn event. And um, so as, as anyway, back to my, my theory, which uh, is a good one, because I run into a lot of people, some of them are deceased now, yeah. waiting patiently for the 50-year reveal of the Warren Commission. And you know, I guess you knew they held back about 30 pages, right? Yeah, they always do. They always okay, do. Now I'm, I'm not taking away from the uh, CIA and the, and the Cuban thing and uh, and the, the mob and all that. Well, who do you think I did it? I don't I, do what. Who do you think did it, Joe? Okay, that's the who. Okay, the who, what, where, when, and how. I, you know, I, I, I don't. I wasn't interested in that. When I got interested in it, it related to the money. Lawful uh, money of account, and so the why I've got that figured out. You know, uh, the uh, when you start studying the 1792 uh, Coinage Act, yeah, I've got about got 20 to, seconds, Joe. So try to get it as fast okay, as you can. Basically, LBJ decided he would sign it. Kennedy said, "I'm going to speak in Dallas at a, at a engagement somewhere else before that about a plan to uh, deface our money monetary system, which will do a lot of damage." Ah, you know, to, it's following to the, the money, the money trail is always it. Well, it makes sense, Paul. Uh, Joe, excuse me. I'm getting to Paul right after the break. Joe, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. I appreciate it. Folks are coming right back. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, quickly, go right ahead. Oh, all right. Hey, uh, well, okay. With sweet potatoes, oh, that's the worst thing. I cannot stand sweet potatoes. Um, um, me and my wife, um, she loves sweet potatoes. I can't stand them. Um, but my question to her always was, why do you have to put vanilla, brown sugar, uh, uh, nutmeg, and all that to make them taste good? Because that's my opinion <laughs> on that real quick. But I had a Tom the Turkey story. Go I ahead. had a Tom the Turkey story. I'll try quick as I can because I know we're in the speed route. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a teacher, Miss Danhauer. Now, I, I wasn't a very good reader. Uh, I almost called you Jim because I remember Jim's show <laughs> last year. Um, Rich. Um yeah, um, I, I, she piqued my interest in reading when in the fifth grade because she would always read to us at the end of the day for about a half hour or so. And then she would tell us about around this time of year, she would tell us about Tom, her turkey. And Tom was a king tankers turkey. And she had a farm, a chicken farm. Now, Tom was always running around there. He'd come and he'd go. And um, she had some neighbors move down the street from her. A young couple just got married. 
Yep. And it was around Thanksgiving time, and she hadn't seen Tom for a while. And the, the neighbors asked her and her husband if they'd like to come down and eat the uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And they said yes, they accepted. So they went down there, and they sat down to eat. And they was eating, and, and the Miss Danhauer told the guy, he, she said, well, this is the best tasting turkey I've ever had. And she said, well, he said, well, or she said, where did you buy it? He said, ma'am, I didn't buy that turkey. I shot it. And let's <laughs> just say she never seen Tom again. <laughs> she never saw Tom again. Paul, I want to thank you for sharing that story and for mentioning Jim and uh, for the um, uh, Richard who called in earlier and mentioned Jim. And uh, always thankful for the legacy left behind by Jim who uh, passed away on November 12th, and we remembered that earlier um, two weeks ago. Uh, but something we didn't really mention was a couple of days ago was uh, the birthday of Larry King on November 19th. So um, happy birthday in heaven to Larry King, and a happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening. Take care of your families, and stay tuned for the rest of the week. We've got some great uh, greatest hits, if you will, uh, that are coming your way. Enjoy the holidays. God bless, and I will see you, America. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.